0: Hear that? It's the sound of you catching up on all the latest and greatest fintech news, trends, and updates thanks to Streetworthy, Yield Street's bi weekly newsletter. Stay in the know with CEO Melinda Mahiri as he takes a closer look at what's happening in the fintech space, then breaks down what each story could mean for investors like you. Give your portfolio the edge it deserves and subscribe to Streetworthy on LinkedIn today. Welcome to The Yield, the official podcast of Yield Street every week. We bring you the latest market insights across our asset classes and products from subject matter experts. Our aim is to break the outdated mold of investing and help you add financial fuel to your ambitions through innovative investing products and strategies, typically unavailable to most investors. Realize your next level with The Yield. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. The views you are about to hear do not necessarily reflect the views of Yieldstreet. This podcast is intended to be strictly informational and is not intended to be and should not be construed as a research report, investment advice, or the offer or sale of securities or any investment product. Now, let's get into the show
1: hi everybody and welcome to the second webinar of 2021 for those that haven't met me uh, on one of our webinars previously my name is bella godfrey and i am an associate on the investor relations team here at yield street i've been at the company now for one and a half years and it's my pleasure today to be chatting with uh, larry curran and barbara anderson the plan today is to discuss some new ongoings within the private business credit vertical here at Yield Street and trending topics around the industry. Then we'll turn our attention to what the team is interested in over the next three to six months. As always, if you have questions throughout the show, please submit them via the Q&A box at the bottom of your Zoom screen, and I'll do my best to make sure that they're answered throughout. If they're not, we'll capture them, and then we'll get back to you via email, something a bit new um, this week we're seeking a bit of your feedback and throughout the uh, webinar we will be launching a brief survey about a a new product that we might be considering in terms of Way to structure it and making it life a little bit easier for investors to manage their capital. And lastly, you can find all of our previous episodes as well as future ones on our YouTube channel, as well as Apple P- podcasts and Spotify podcasts. You can also see our previous webinars through the blog on the Yield Street website as well under the resources tab. So let's get into it. I'm Very, very lucky to work alongside our guests, Larry and Barbara. And for those of you who haven't been able to attend one of their previous uh, webinars, Barbara is the head of underwriting with Yield Street's private business credit group and has been with the company for five months now. Before Yield Street, Barbara had an extensive career in commercial banking, responsible for originating, underwriting, and managing senior secured loans to finance companies retailers and factories managing billions of dollars. Larry is the managing director of our newly formed private business credit team. Although it does feel like the last six months have lasted a year, so Larry Larry and Barbara don't seem so new to me anymore. And he comes to Yield Street with 25 years of experience. Larry was most recently the founder of I2B Capital and co-founder of Vion Receivable Investments. His focus was in developing receivable-based investments for institutional investors. Larry and Barbara have been a team for the past 12 years, joining forces at Bion, I2B Capital, and now Yield Street Private Business Credit. Barbara and Larry, thanks so much for coming on today and for kicking off our second webinar of the year. Thanks, Bella.
2: Thanks,
3: Bella, and Happy New Year to everybody. We're uh, happy to see the uh, calendar roll, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, the many opportunities that 21 should uh, make available for us.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's going to be exciting. I don't know about you guys, but gosh the holiday period just came and went and didn't really feel like uh we got much of a break we've hit the ground running into 2021 and lots of exciting things are coming up so sleep when we're dead type thing <laughs> let's dive in 2020 was a whirlwind year for private business credit you both joined yield street in june peak pandemic had a strong year and now full steam ahead into 2021. Larry, do you want to provide a quick update on the status of the market as we push through quarter one of 2021?
3: Sure, Bella. And, you know, (laughs) a lot going on end of the year, a lot going on to the start of the year. We got a new administration, which means lots of new things on the uh, order of what's next. Right. And at the top of that, for any of you that aren't familiar, the CFPB or the Consumer Protection Finance Bureau is Protection Bureau is out there for consumers. We have a new head that has been appointed by President Biden. The organization's been on a little bit of a hiatus over the previous administration and we expect some activity that we're going to talk about in these other uh, four quadrants that are going to be very interesting. At the top of the list and at the top of the priority, as I'm sure many of you heard, is in student debt reform. And they've talked about all kinds of relief plans, forgiveness, you know, payment Uh, mitigation, et cetera. There, There are multiple plans going on right now, but just not robust enough to have the impact that they are looking for. So for us as kind of lenders and originators to the consumer world, why this matters for us is that this is a great opportunity to increase the discretionary income of our borrowers. So if the student loan and medical debt are two of the largest FICO killing things on any consumer's report. And if you're not current, not paying on your student debt, not only is that impacting your FICO score, but it's also truly impacting your free cash flow for paying other debts, obligations, spending as a consumer, et cetera. So the concept of debt forgiveness, debt reduction, et cetera, is very, very helpful to the big picture of what we're looking for as we look at consumer receivable opportunities this year. So as we go forward and we look at the other opportunities, we have uh, PPP and additional stimulus. So for us here at Private Business Credit, we follow the small, medium enterprise businesses and with PPP, Payment Protection Plan, what this does is it gives another source of capital to the business for the working capital and the payrolls of the business so that we can focus on growth and equipment and other items that we don't need to provide this piece of working capital. So it's a great complement. To our target borrowers. It gives them a source of capital that they can make sure that folks are getting paid. And if folks are getting paid, those ultimately are consumers. So this this commercial stimulus has a double impact, helps our business customers grow and kind of complements the lending that we can already do here to help them grow. And then it also makes sure that our consumers are getting paid so they can meet their obligations on the consumer side as well. So debt relief, free cash flow, stimulus. We talk about the consumer stimulus process. In the last uh, stimulus that came out, there was hope that consumers were going to get out and spend, but really what we saw was people pay down their debt and actually save. And what that did was it created better debt to income ratios, even in the subprime category. And it created some of the highest savings rates in American history because people were unsure. So as we start to come out of the bubble, if we have freed up cash flow from our student debt, we have stimulus coming in and our businesses and our small businesses we work for have payment protection to make sure we're getting paid. We're anticipating a boon in consumer related lending. People have been kind of bundled up, tightened up, locked in their house. And as we start to free up, there's going to be more capital for people to purchase and buy goods and service, do their house, do home remodeling, et cetera. And all of that, I think, is going to create excellent opportunities for us as we go into the future. And then one of the areas that we're specifically looking to focus under the new administration, which is called ESG investments, where we're focusing on environmentally, socially conscious and governance related Commercial opportunities. And as you can see on the slide, that has a, a variance of alternative energy storage and anything that deals with cutting emissions and moving forward. And with government support, again, it brings extra capital to these types of organizations where we can focus where we normally do, which is on collateral based activity, equipment, and expansion. And before we get off this particular slide, I just want to reiterate to people that are here for the first time that everything that we're doing here at PBC is focused on growing businesses. So as we talk about the things that we're funding today and tomorrow and coming due, everything in our portfolio is a business that is currently growing and has grown through COVID, and we're enabling them to grow out of COVID as well. So we're looking forward to how all of these things can positively impact our 21, and we're very excited to see as those opportunities come about.
1: Great. Thanks, Larry. And I mean, you, you just said that if they do get through some student debt reform and another round of PPP has now been approved, free cash flow for consumers will, will increase. So maybe they might want to buy a motorcycle, which is a good segue into my question that I have for Barbara. Are you able to provide us an update on motorcycle loan portfolio one? There's a small amount remaining left on the platform. I believe $183,000 remains. I just checked before we jumped on the call. Be good if we could have a, a quick refresher on that deal and how it, how it's going.
2: Absolutely, Bella. Wow, one hundred eighty-three thousand. We started out at thirteen point two million, so that's that's pretty uh, exciting stuff right there. I'm happy to report after the first ninety days of our performance, which ended on November thirtieth, our participation is now down to eleven point eight. Million and the receivable portfolio is at 11.9 million. And remember, that's down from where we started at 13.2 million 90 days prior. So, what you'll observe from those numbers is that we've built about 120,000 of equity in this portfolio in that our participation is $120,000 less than the portfolio itself. And we've also reduced the participation itself by over 1.6 million. And that was because payoffs have been higher than we anticipated in our modeling. And that goes to what Larry was talking about earlier with customers that have you know stimulus money more money in their bank accounts less places to spend it have reduced their debt and paid off their motorcycle loans which you know absolutely makes makes sense in the current environment so our payoffs have been higher than we anticipated our losses have been mitigated with buyback agreements. We had a 90 day buyback agreement in place with the, with the seller. So we've had no losses on this portfolio that weren't recovered through the buybacks. And we receive a hundred percent of principal and interest payments to cover our servicing costs, losses, and pay the return to our investors. So that of equity that we've built in the first 90 days is, of course, cushion for our own participation. But if that continues to grow and build, that is an incentive to the seller who recovers that capital at the end of the transaction after we've recovered 100% of our principal plus our return. So there is proper alignment with the seller to do a good job, manage the loans, keep the losses in check so that there is that, you know, carrot at the end of the transaction in terms of equity that's accrued in the portfolio over the coming 30 months or so. So we're excited about the performance so far. And, you know, there is 183,000 remaining on the site. So we would encourage you to consider making an investment and we'll keep you up to date on how we're doing going forward. And
3: the only thing I'd like to add to that is that this is one of our only fully amortizing deals on the site right now. So people are getting print that that all that that Barbara talked about is coming out monthly. So people, when they think about a 36 month term, we're now four months in, looking at 32 months, but you're getting an amortized interest and principal payment every month. So it's accumulating quite quickly with, as you saw, we're down in the 11 millions. We started at 13. So people have gotten a a meaningful amount of principal back in these early months. And we assume that's going to continue going forward. So it is a different type of income vehicle than our interest only products that we have and supply chain finance, which I think we're going to talk about here quickly.
1: Yeah, and, and to that point, as the principal comes back, investors are free to continue investing that in other deals so their money can keep working hard for them and earning a passive income. And it's always great news to hear that these deals are performing in line with expectations, even ahead of expectations. Uh, that makes me a happy investor relations associate, that is for sure. And so we've, we, we did a lot of supply chain financing transactions in the second half of 2020, Larry, where we we launched four in 2020 and actually tonight we'll launch our fifth in supply chain financing 2C. So I think it'd be great for everyone to hear a little bit about how those deals are going and what, what's coming down the pipeline in that in that area.
3: Yeah, this is kind of uh, the bookend to the six months that you mentioned. We're now coming to our first maturity on our first 180-day paper, so it's exciting times. As everybody can see here on the slide, it's $23.5 million, and what that means here in the next couple of weeks, we'll get our first bulk payment from our Counterparty and supply chain financing one, our first full six months will complete. And I'm um, super excited. It just like flew by for Barbara and I. That we, we kind of looked up and said, Oh my gosh, we're getting $25 million. That's going to go back to our investors on this program here in the very short order. And so what's next? As Bella just mentioned, we started with supply chain financing two. And for anyone who's not familiar, supply chain financing one is our largest supply chain finance partner, and today we have about $45 million that is out across two investments, which would be supply chain financing 1A and 1B. Our goal is to hopefully have a 1C in the very near future as well. And then we went on to supply chain financing 2, which is actually a shorter-term lower yield, 120-day revolving product that is going to mature every 120 days. And the first maturity of supply chain two is going to come in March, then April. And then as Bella mentioned, supply chain financing 2C launches this afternoon, and that will be coming due in May. So we have a great opportunity for those that are programmatic investors that Our goal here is that we have opportunities and maturities that literally, as you get into the cycle, start repaying each month. And we create some diversity between the two products, the type, the tenor, and the rate. And what we're hoping to do is as the market opens this year, supply chain financing overall, think about the global markets have been shut down. So the need for everybody to come online, shipping overseas and timing, that will be stretched out further than ever. So so traditional payment of AP and AR will be stressed and what supply chain financing does inherently is it allows us to fund directly the smaller suppliers, pay them so that they're current they have the cash flow to operate and it extends the buyer's terms so that they can have more time to sell their products and services, have cash, extend their terms and it's a win-win on both sides of the equation. And with our partner here in Originations, we think this is one of the big growth items. And again, with private business credits mantra, each of these businesses, the reason that we keep reinvesting is they're growing right now. They need more supply chain finance. They're bringing on more suppliers. They're getting new customers. And both of them are broadening globally globally with both their supplier base and also their customer base. So all of that creates more and more demand for the product both within these credits, as well as we expect to have a diversification of several new supply chain customers over the coming months. And then Bella, that was uh, maybe a cue for you is that what we're trying to do is work with our investors to understand if this process of kind of one-off, repeat, one-off works, or if there's more of an aptitude to a fund product where we would commit capital for 12 to say 18 months, and we would just auto renew these. So you would be within the same yield parameters, but you wouldn't have to turn around and Count. Oh, I've got a payment coming next week. I've got to get that money back and now I need to put it in back into two or three or four or whatever that we have available at that time. What we're looking to do is potentially diversify that risk in a pool of supply chain financing products that would enable you to tie up your capital for a 12 to 24 month period. And it would be great to get your feedback here on the survey that's on the board so that we could understand because part of what Barbara and I are doing on a regular basis is we're doing this for you. <laughs> if it doesn't meet your needs, we're not doing our job right. And, and as Bella said, we had a great half of last year, we originated a hundred million dollars. And the interesting part is we talked about motorcycle having 183,000 sitting out there. That's all that's left. So we've successfully delivered to our investors what they were looking for. And we've had distribution success. And part of that is working together. So if you can take an active role and let us know your feedback towards the idea of a fund base versus supply chain 1, 2, B, C, et cetera, we're looking to meet your needs and getting your feedback as how we deliver that product that you're looking for.
1: Yeah, and that uh, this polls popped up at the appropriate time because we did have a question from an investor almost reading our minds uh, to see if we would be offering supply chain finance products through a fund like structure. So, like Larry said, if you uh, could just take a, a second to submit your preferences. Honestly, it really does help, and we take your feedback on board and quite literally. And if there is enough demand for a fund like product, well, then I'm sure we can expect to see one coming soon. And that's a good way to lead into my next question for you, Larry, on the supply chain topic is what do we see coming down the pipeline? Any other different types of parties we will be looking to provide financing to beyond the ones we've already worked with uh, previously in the second half of last last year.
3: Yeah, I just kind of had a kickoff meeting with our partner here in our supply chain. And we have a laundry list of buyers that are looking for new supply chain programs. I want to say there's probably another four or five in our immediate kind of diligence pipeline that we'll be looking at that will be in different areas. So it'll be in different businesses. Again, uh, consumer products conglomerate and supply chain one. Supply chain two is good old fashioned cardboard in a world shipping online world that we're in. So not a lot of sex appeal there, but if anybody's not banking on something cardboard on their doorstep this week, I you know, think you won the lottery because all of us are shipping that way today. So having cardboard and lumber, we're looking to find industries that are inherently poised for growth and that we don't wanna just do one round of supply chain. And to keep everybody in check, the supply chain financing one, we are a participant with a larger group of institutional investors. And this investment started out at $5 million roughly a year and a half ago. And today it's over $150 million. So uh, for, for reference point, the company's revenue is a multi-billion dollar organization. So the numbers are relative, but that's exactly what we're looking to do is find companies that we can create Stability, trust with our investors, and starting here in the next two weeks, everybody that was in supply chain one is going to have their opportunity to see the first payout come out, which we're really excited for. And now we can say, we know supply chain one is with that customer. And if you like that product, that mix at that tenor, that's what we want to create more and more of. And we have a chance to grow in that supply chain relationship as well as multiple new supply chain. Uh, partners. So we're very excited and expect supply chain to be a big portion of PBC's year for 21.
1: Awesome. I think um, investors will be delighted to hear that. I know these offerings have been incredibly popular with our investor base to date. People come to Yield Street looking for, so you've definitely um, satisfied them on in that regard. And another asset class that we focus on within the PBC vertical is the consumer area of the market. We've spoken about our deal that we've done with motorcycles. But uh, Barbara, is there something else? Are there any other types of consumer-related products that you're looking to work with in 2021 with regard to private business credit?
2: Yes, Bella, there's a new transaction that I wanted to discuss briefly here this afternoon. It is for a luxury car leasing company. Very interesting transaction. Wanted to talk a little bit about what we like about it and why we decided to pursue it. Again, first and foremost, it's a growing business that we believe is scalable, was growing before COVID, during COVID, and continues to grow in the current environment. Our transaction is backed by both the revenue stream from the lease payments, as well as the net liquidation value of the luxury cars themselves. We employed a uh, 50% loan to value here against the net liquidation value that we update monthly against the Mannheim auction values. Uh, So we have real-time valuations on these vehicles. The lessees themselves put down on average 30% into each of these cars. And we like that because the underlying lessee is invested in the vehicle. And the lessor in this particular case, our a client have in excess of, you know, four and a half million dollars of sub debt and equity beneath us in the business. And of course, they provide a personal guarantee for the transaction. So they too are fully vested in this transaction. And, you know, we hope to be bringing that to the platform shortly. But You know, these are unique transactions that fit our very basic criteria of growing, scalable businesses. They're structured with all of the bells and whistles that we're used to using from a fully backed uh, transaction, collateralized transaction point of view. And, you know, we look for more of these in 2021 because I think the, uh, the current environment is such that we're going to see... A number of entrepreneurs growing their businesses. Once you know COVID is finally behind us, I think there's a tremendous amount of pent up demand, and we'll be there to support that that growth and success going forward.
1: Thanks, Barbara. And I know when we launched um, the motorcycle loan portfolio one initially, we had a number of questions come in from investors about the types of people who borrowing or financing the purchase of a motorcycle or in this case it's going to be the purchase of a luxury car. Larry, do you think you could shed some light on the types of people that are engaging in these transactions just to sort of make investors, you know, understand these, these people a, a little bit better and find comfort with um, the positions that they personally might find themselves in?
3: Yeah, and thank you for that because I think for people, you know, most of the people on this call probably aren't finding themselves in the subprime category, but they might. And maybe when you find out that 669, which most people think is a pretty good FICO store, is where you start being in the subprime category, and that roughly 37% of Americans fall into subprime. I think that that's shocking to many people to understand that such a large portion of our adult, you know, credit enabled folks are in that situation. But as we talked about on the previous slide, also realize that the largest single debt in American consumers lives is student debt at about $1.3 trillion today. And a lot of it stayed over there. It might be stay, even if it stayed and you have some sort of forbearance on there, you still have an outstanding credit balance as part of your overall balances. And that negatively can impact your FICO score. And put you down into this position. And we're not suggesting that everybody's a perfect creditor in this particular band, but what has been very interesting because of stimulus and other attributes, the inability to spend discretionary income, the overall subprime market has outperformed expectations that you would expect to see during a pandemic. And when you look at it, it's a little incongruent to a normal thinker to say, well, gosh, if all these bad things are going on, but when you stop and say, we gave people money, they didn't spend it. Many of the people. And in fact, in some of our accounts in the portfolio for motorcycles, people prepaid with the money they got because they weren't sure if they were going to have money in the future. They wanted to make sure they had their motorcycle. So they paid their account ahead to make sure that if they had a break and in income from a program that they would be able to keep their motorcycle. And so when we, when we have people thinking about consumer, not only are we seeing performance and keep in mind, there's still losses. And when there are losses, Barb and I block and tackle for where do we need to buy, whether it's a discount to par, whether it's some structural component, where do we need to do that based on current actual default rates in the pandemic in order to protect both our principal and our yield. And there, the, unfortunately this pocket tends to grow, not shrink that the subprime market is growing, not shrinking. And so we're going to continue to find transactions. And what I know everybody says is that mean we're going to stay in the luxury car space or the motorcycle space. And my answer would be, we're going to stay in the space that we can structure <laughs> have current performance, and we didn't have to lend to the pandemic, we're lending in the pandemic. So we get to see, we now have, we're going on almost a year since the shutdown. It's the end of January, right? So we have this view that other people didn't. I I, I saw Bella's mind thinking, oh my God, it's been a year since we shut down, yes. But during that shutdown, people didn't spend their money. And that's why we're seeing a little bit higher uptick of performance in this group. Than we would have otherwise. And now that we know there's more stimulus on the way, perhaps debt relief in students, we would anticipate that that trend would continue. So we're excited to continue exploring that in uh, 21.
1: Yeah, I, I it is hard to believe that I'm still sitting in my bedroom working from <laughs> home almost.
3: Yeah, that's where I like the same picture. The six Dining months of things, we're in the same spot, same same thing. Maybe a dog's gonna bark in the back. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. um, for me
1: it's but, a New York New York fire engine like truck or a police car that normally interrupts my Zoom calls. So thankfully we've um had a quiet day in No Lita in Manhattan <laughs> for this webinar. But I think that makes a really good point, Larry. Sometimes people have this idea in their head that subprime borrowers are quite scary and that they're very unreliable. But it could be the case that you've got like a very well-educated professional that has a substantial amount of student debt that is bringing their FICO score down and they're then forced into this market to borrow and pay huge interest rates. And well, at the end of the day, they're actually a really responsible individual and the likelihood that they do miss a payment is probably lower than what most would think about. um, that category of the market as a whole so it does I hope that then sort of contextualizes to investors listening what type of people these people are that are are accessing credit through these you know different and unique financing programs we always do get a question throughout these webinars about the default case scenario people would like to know what happens in the event that someone does become unable to pay in the context I think specifically of the consumer area of private business credit are you able either Larry or Barbara to run through what would happen in a default scenario if someone did miss a motorcycle payment or if they did miss a payment on a on this potential luxury car deal that might or might not come to fruition.
2: Yeah, Bella, I'll take that one. So the, the good news on these two transactions is that there is an asset behind the consumer loan or lease. So we have a motorcycle or a car and our servicing partner would repossess and sell the vehicle. That is ultimately the resolution when a borrower fails to make its payments. And there's a fairly short tail on those payment misses you know it's very often 60 to 90 days before the vehicle is repossessed in the case of the luxury cars they're equipped with multiple gps devices both wired and and wireless so that the automobile can be tracked down and the same with the motorcycles so those assets are repossessed and sold and the proceeds are used to pay down the balance of the loan. Where losses tend to be, not always, but in most cases, where losses tend to be is the early stage of the loan or lease, where enough payments haven't been made yet to build equity in that asset. Now that's one of the reasons why in our motorcycle transaction, the portfolio that we participated in was a seasoned portfolio. We had on average 12 months of payment performance on all of those borrowers because we, we didn't wanna take that early payment risk where equity had not built up in the vehicle yet. With the leasing transaction, the down payment is substantial. A 30% down payment uh, on these vehicles mitigates the the risk to a large degree of having a shortfall if the asset were to be uh, repossessed. Also, in the luxury space, the vehicles tend to hold their value better so you know a maserati tends to 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 hold its value better than the than the honda it's just the way the world works and we are lending at a very conservative loan to value against the retail auction value of the vehicle so that protects us as well if those vehicles have to be repossessed and auctioned at the end of their life the other thing that i would just add is all of the vehicles the motorcycles and the cars are all insured they're insured by the, by the drivers, but they're also insured uh, with umbrella policies um, at the leasing company and at the, the lending company. So, so we have insurance on top of insurance, just to be sure that if there's a, an accident, a theft, whatever, we're covered there too.
3: Bella, did you want to put that question out on what brands of cars do we have in the luxury portfolio? Barbara, if you want to take that.
2: Yeah, I mean, it is a mixture of, you know, Porsche, Maserati, you know, Ferrari, um, Maybox. There are high end Mercedes, uh, Range Rovers, Bentleys. It is a luxury portfolio for sure.
1: And Barbara, we just had another question come through. If this deal does come to fruition, can you ballpark the target interest range that our investors can expect and the the length of the deal itself?
2: The length of the transaction is 30 months. And right now, we're working on our pricing. It will be a little bit less than our motorcycle transaction because our loan-to-value on the vehicles is much lower than on the motorcycle transaction. So, the, the, the return to the investors will be slightly less and the term will be 30 months. It's 30 months now, so it will be slightly less than 30 months when we launch it as well.
1: Super. Thanks for that, Barbara. And actually, the time has escaped me. We're we're about done. Not long. So I will have to start wrapping things up. And if there are any questions, I think I got to all of them. Um, of course, we'll be in touch with the listeners after this has concluded. Um, and of course, you can rewatch it again on um, our YouTube channel and also in podcast format on apple podcasts and on spotify had a couple of um mentions of our short-term note products a little bit unrelated to this webinar is come in through the um, Q&A. I encourage everybody to head to www.yieldstreet.com uh, and look at the invest page to see our open offerings at the moment you can find details there about a couple of real estate offerings we have on pro, um on uh, open at the moment as well as our motorcycle deal and the soon to be opened at 4 p.m supply chain financing to see and also uh, on that page you can find details about the yield street prison fund and also the short-term note products their their different durations and uh, interest rates that investors can expect to receive but thanks again today for joining me um, Larry and Barbara it's been a pleasure as always very informative and I'm sure I'll be speaking with you both very soon but in the meantime definitely lots of exciting things to look forward to in the realm of private business credit here at Street.
3: Awesome thanks everyone.
1: Thank Let's you. you a
3: great 21.
1: Yeah, saver and soon. Thanks. Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Yield. For the latest updates on the alternative investing space, go to yieldstreet.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts as this will help other investors like yourself find our show. If you have any questions, please visit us at Yieldstreet.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week. The Street podcast you just heard only reflects the opinions of the host, who is an associated person of Street and does not necessarily reflect the views of Street or any of its affiliates or other associates. The podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be and should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any security and is not an offer or sale of any securities or investment product. The podcast is also not a research report and is not intended to be and should not be construed as investment advice. Support for this podcast comes from Yield Street. Trying to time the stock market can lead to regret. At Yield Street, our alternative investments are designed to create predictable secondary income streams, providing you with tools to help put your money to work immediately. These investments in asset classes like art, real estate, and legal finance typically have low correlation with the stock market and target annual yields up to 7 to 10 percent. Welcome to the next generation of investing. Welcome to Yield Street. Sign up today at YieldStreet.com.